Hey guys, uh, before we go into the show, I'm happy to announce I got my very first sponsorship for the podcast. So I've been putting out content for like almost two years now, about 20 or 21 months, and I'm getting my first sponsor for the show. So thank you to all the listeners and hopefully you can only get better from here. I appreciate all your support. Support for the Cultural Class Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below the belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology development to provide you the best tools for your grooming experiences. In essence, this is a high-tech pubic shaver for men and women. You know, while living the quarantine life, it might be difficult for most of us to pay attention to personal hygiene. I mean, when I have Zoom calls with my interview guests, some of them have like, you know, beards growing out, their hair is like in an afro or growing long. This is because everyone is indoors. You know, it's difficult to find a barber. However, with Manscaped, you don't need to let your groin area look like your beard, especially if you have a significant other that you stay with or you're close to or you see from you know, every now and then. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and has just released the new and improved lawnmower 3.0. The third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents. So it's a ceramic blade. So, you know, less cuts down there. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. I'm not sure which one of you listeners shaves for 90 minutes, but just in case you do, battery life is 90 minutes so you can spend a lot of time shaving. I mean, the shaver is also water resistant so you can groom yourself in the shower. And when I say groom yourself, I mean shave. Get your minds out of the gutter, guys. Manscaped was kind enough to send me a box and I have it right here. Uh, unfortunately, this is audio. Maybe I'll do like a video review for social media, but it's pretty cool. One of the coolest features is the LED lights, which illuminates the groin area or the grooming area for a closer, more precise trimming. So it's kind of like, you know, those YouTube makeup artists that have the ring lights on their face while they're doing their makeup. Now you have a light on the trimmer so you can see what you're doing while you're trimming. So you can get all those hidden errors. You know what I mean? They've also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. This means it's not loud. If you have someone waiting for you, like your girlfriend or something in the room, you can quickly dash into the bathroom, do your thing and come out. It's quiet. No one knows what you're doing. Trim that junk of yours. Get 20% off plus free shipping when you use the code CULTURECLASS at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Lady listeners, this will be a great gift for your guys as well. If you're thinking about what to get your husband or your boyfriend or your significant other, you can get him a lawnmower 3.0. Just go to manscaped.com and use the promo code CULTURECLASS while checking out to get 20% off and free shipping. Once again, 20% off free shipping. Go to manscaped.com and use the code culture class. Now let's get to the show. Okay, welcome to another edition of the Culture Class Podcast, the podcast where we get to interact with people from different backgrounds, get to learn about other cultures and what's going on in places around the world. So um, I think someone reached out to me, before I introduce my guest for today, someone reached out to me on Instagram and said, hey, you know, I thought this podcast was all about culture, you know, and I certainly started off that way and I'm still interviewing people from different backgrounds. But uh, when I say different culture, uh, what I mean most of the time is someone that has a different 
different story from me. So someone that might not necessarily have my experiences, uh, so maybe not necessarily where I'm from, but, you know, just getting to know other people. That's what I mean. So if you see me talking to someone, I'm not, you know, really talking about those cultural stories uh, from other countries and things like that. I think, I think there's still something to learn. Uh, from the interview. So, but I appreciate the feedback and, you know, we always want to make the show better and, you know, cater to our listeners. So I'll try my best to incorporate as much of those stories as I possibly can uh, going forward. But anytime I, you know, run into a guest, I think, you know, has an interesting story. I can also do that as well. Forgive me. All right. Today I have a very special guest. It's really special for me, particularly as a podcaster. You know, one of those people who started podcasting way, way, way many years ago. I think he's been podcasting for like 15, 16 years now, was one of the first to do it. Uh, on the podcast. Let me just run down some of his resume here. Like I said, he's been podcasting for like 16 years on all sides. Uh, he's currently the vice president of content and partnership at Lipsyn. Uh, he was the former head of partnership and head of content at Voxnet. He was the EVP and CTO at Podcast One. Uh, he's the former head of content at Spreaker. Uh, he was a business manager for podcasts at Microsoft Zoom and Xbox Live Marketplace. And he's the former host of Web Talk Radio, which was like the first broadcast radio program in the world to begin podcasting in 2004. Uh, he's a chair of the Podcast Academy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's on the editorial board of the Podcast Business Journal. And he was recently inducted into the Academy of Podcasters Hall of Fame. I think that was like two years ago. So yeah. he's seen it all. He's done it all in the podcasting industry. Welcome to the show, Rob Greenlee. It's great to be here. Yeah. Thanks for the invite. Most definitely. And I feel so honored to have you here. Like, you know, in the podcasting industry, you're, you're up there, you're known, uh, you're, you're one of the voices that pushes the narrative on how to grow the industry. You know, most of us are just out here doing our own little shows, but you have your own show and you do all this other stuff as well to help <laughs> fellow podcasters. So I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a fun, fun few years of being involved in the podcasting space. It wasn't always... Um, seen as this this uh cool cool you know medium that it is now so it's it's had its roller coaster rides out there as far as and that's it's its perceptions but it's certainly been a been an exciting and fun 16 years of uh working and actually i was actually i go back even further with my radio show i started in 99 and started mm-hmm. making um, audio programs available online just for direct downloads off of like websites and stuff so um that's kind of where all this started Got it. Got it. And there are so many ways we can take this interview. You know, um, while, while before I started recording, I started thinking, how do I approach this? Because you've been in you know, so many facets of the industry, from the content side, from the host side, from the association side, from the ad side. So um, in as much as this might not necessarily be how to start a podcast, I, I guess I'd like to focus on kind of like what's going on currently in the podcasting space, maybe learning from some past history, what's going on currently and what the future of podcasting uh, is Mm -hmm. in in our opinion or your opinion. Is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. Those are big topics, but certainly we can can go through some of those about what I think and what I see happening in the medium, sure. Sure. Okay. Let's talk about you a little bit. So to set the tone, talk to me about 17-year-old or 16-year-old Rob. What were you like as a teenager um, growing up? Were you always, you know, fascinated by the radio? Uh, I know you have a background mm. in radio. <laughs> what were you like as a teenager? Not at all. I was uh, I was basically an athlete. So I did oh, wow. a, 
I played uh, I played basketball and um, starting from the age of seven up through um, I stopped my senior year in college. So um, so that's you know it was really about sports for me when I was growing up uh, around playing all sorts of different kinds of sports, but mainly it was basketball. I did like um, cross country and track and and uh, did the high jump for for a few years also. So, but yeah, it was really about um, sports for me. Most people who like, were like super into sports as teenagers, you still see that in them, you know, as grownups in as much as they might not necessarily be involved in sports, but maybe they might be talking about sports if they're in the media or even if they're in the corporate world, they always reference to their sporting days. I don't see that a lot with you. So you don't seem to reference a lot of your time in the sporting world or playing basketball. Was that well, something it, you really wanted to do or you just kind of like fell into it? Well, I think it was a, a pathway for me as a, as a young man that was very, helpful to me to to help me grow and develop as a person so i mean if i think back on it i just thought it was cool and fun thing to to do and it got me involved in in you know competition and getting to know people it was kind of a social thing for me too um kind of pulled me out of my shell a little bit so you know going out there and playing in front of audiences and and trying to be you know working hard and trying to be successful i think it was a good background i was around a lot of very very good people good coaches uh it created a very kind of positive environment for me and as i was growing up i i found a lot of success playing playing sports uh as far as my my experience with it um so i think it was really formidable to you know, help me form as a, as a, as a man and as a person, you know, I mean, a lot of the coaches that I played with had really strong values and, and really drove those. It, it wasn't just about the game of basketball, but it was all about the lessons of life that the sports world represent to, to us as participants. So, and how we work with others and how we communicate and how we have a level of sportsmanship with others. And, you know, because sport puts you in a situation where there's winners and losers, right? And, and those can be difficult environments. Um, and, you know, for the winners and, you know, it can be great experience for the winners, but kind of tough for the, the, the losers. So it, 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 it kind of taught a lot of life lessons. Got it. Got it. Got it. I mean, I certainly un- un- just, uh, agree. There's a lot of things that sports can teach a young man's particularly as a teenager when you're just starting to learn some of those lessons for the first time. Um, but talking about podcasting now, let, let's set up the tone by me asking you, what is your definition of podcasting? This is a simple question to a lot of listeners, but to podcasters is a little bit controversial because a lot of people, you know, have their own definitions. Like if you put it on YouTube, is it still a podcast? If you don't have an RSS feed, is it still a podcast? In your opinion, what is podcast? Well, I think if you go back to the very um, early days or, or the beginning of the media, and what podcasting was, was uh, something new that was different from radio. So I think at the end of the day, uh, at least my background and experience with, with it is it, it's kind of a different type of content. It's a, it has a different ideology or a different philosophy or a different culture around um uh, around it than radio had and and I come from an era where radio was very very dominant and and it also in some ways got a little too commercialized and and I think that podcasting is a reaction to um 
you know, a restriction of um, types of content. Uh, it became a little bit more, you know, homogenized based on syndication and, and aggregation of, of, of audience and radio stations. And so I think podcasting was a, was a cultural react to frustration that audiences had uh, with, and you combine that with the development of the internet and the web and with um, things like Napster where the music side of content uh, was starting to expand and grow um, online pretty aggressively back in the same kind of relative time frame to the start of podcast. So there was a cultural upheaval that was happening. Uh, so I, I do think of podcasting in kind of two kind of more specific buckets. And that would be uh, on the content side, uh, it's something unique, but also on the distribution side or, or the technology of podcasting, which is quite different than radio or, or oftentimes other types of uh, media, whether it be television, movies, uh, music, uh, have not been distributed in the open methodology that we see in podcasting with the uh, the open rss2 specification and that, that that's what really made this medium y- unique but to kind of summarize what, what what i'm trying to say is that is that i i think it depends on um, who you are in the ecosystem of podcasting how you see podcasts i think if you're a listener you think of it as just a type of uh, unique niche content, right? Whether it's video, whether it's audio, whether it's everything, it could be thought of as a podcast, like what we're doing right now with Zoom. And um, I don't know if we're going to take the video and put this out or if we're just going to put out the audio, but but you can kind of see where this is a little bit different. It's more in depth. It, it talks about topics at a, at a level that radio really never did. Um, and I think in the early days, maybe it did a little bit more. But, but so if you're a listener, you look at it as something unique and something different, right, from other media types. Now, if you're a creator, if you're a content podcaster, then I think you tend to look at it a little bit differently. You tend to look at, well, podcasting is a distribution strategy, right? It's a it's a, another form of syndication of my content. It can get out to um, you know um, to all sorts of listening platforms: Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, all that stuff. It's a it's a way for me to reach audiences, right? Mm. So I think you, there's kind of two buckets. It depends on where you live in the ecosystem of it. And I think one of the other conflicts that's gone along with it too is, is, um, is it streaming or is it downloading? You know, so you kind of have these, these kind of technological hurdles that people try and struggle with, but then there's the content side. And I think that uh, listeners tend to focus on the content side. So I think it depends on who, who you're talking to, what podcasting is. And I know that was a very complicated answer, but, but it is a complicated issue if you look at the, the history of the medium and how it's grown and developed to what we see today. Yeah, very complicated and very controversial. And you, you said something there that I never really thought about. You know, I had been thinking about it just from the content creation side, like you said, you know, so I, I looked at it, you know, is a video podcast, is an audio podcast, but you talked about distribution. I never thought about it like, you know, um, describing a podcast from the distribution angle. Because if I, now that I think about it, like if you write something on a piece of paper, if you put it in some pages and make it bound, that's a book. If you put it on a, on a website, that's a blog post. If you put it right. on a billboard, that's, a, that's something else. So I guess distribution is also a way to look at how to categorize podcasts. And that's something I'd never really t- thought about until you mentioned it just now. Um, but 
Let's talk a little bit about the history of podcasting. Um, mm-hmm. you, you've been around, you know, the world of podcasting for 16 years. You started your radio show in 1999, and that kind of like became a podcast a few years later. Mm-hmm. Whenever I try to research on the history of podcasting, I, I keep seeing one name, Adam Curry. That's a former uh, former MTV VJ who kind of like is considered as the pod father. Um, not maybe some say he started it, some say he didn't. Was you know I I guess he definitely like made podcasting mainstream. You know he mm-hmm. I think he worked with Steve Jobs to really refine the podcasting layer of iTunes uh, when he introduced it in the Worldwide Developer Conference in 2005. Mm-hmm. But what was your experience with podcasting pre-2005 before Steve Jobs got on stage and really like made it official and announced it? What was kind of like the wild, wild west of podcasting in uh, pre, pre-2005 from your experience? Well, it was a fairly small group of um, folks that were very focused on technology and trying to do something new with the internet and, and, and the web and technology. And if you look at you know my involvement in that time period, I was doing a nationally syndicated radio show about the growth and development of the internet and the web. So you can kind of see where I had an orientation to content and an orientation around the topic of my show that was very much in line with with um, uh, it's kind of the trends that were happening around um, content distribution, content consumption on the the web and the internet and the web and the internet are two very distinct things um and there's different ways of looking at it but to kind of roll up what you were saying about adam curry adam curry was the fellow um and dave weiner so that the, there were two fellows um, dave weiner was the one that kind of um was the the leader of the rss standard with the um, standards body that was involved in coming up with these kind of kind of standards back in those days and he he and adam curry came up with this concept of the enclosure right so you could basically have like a tag in the rss feed that was used a lot for text syndication back in the early days of the medium and and basically convert that and add a little tag that you could add something that you could link to uh, like a media file or a PDF document or a video or whatever, and have that blog post right al- along with a media file, right? So you could syndicate out a document along with a uh, blog post, right? So that that was the concept behind it. And so Adam and Dave kind of got together and Adam created the first podcatcher, which is basically a piece of software that looked at that RSS feed and captured the whatever was in that enclosure tag in the RSS feed and then obviously grabbed the, the title information and the, and the description and those kind of things and pulled it into, in those days, it was called like a feed reader. Um, but, but, but it basically read all the metadata that was inside of that RSS feed um, that was describing whatever item was listed in there. And basically an RSS feed is just a list of, of, um, of content, right? It's like an itemized list of content that has metadata around it, around what it is and, and its tags and links to various resources and the title and content itself. So, um, so that's basically what Adam did is Ad, Adam made that connection between the RSS feed and some sort of software that automated the, the download and the, or the transfer of that media file over to a player type device like an iPod or, or it could even be a piece of software like a Windows Media Player or iTunes. And so people were, were basically go, using the software and clicking, I want to automatically get this episode or the most latest episode to be downloaded to whatever 
device. Um, I wanted to have that media file go to. So back in those days, I mean, like uh, a Windows media player worked with a bunch of um, smaller MP3 players. So these portable MP3 players. And so you basically could use Atom software to download, automatically download it to the Windows media player software that then would transfer it over to the, the portable media player, or you had to do it manually, one of the two. So it was up to you how, how you wanted to set it up, but it basically automated the delivery of the media file to a portable device, right? And back in those days, you kind of have to keep in mind too that bandwidth was very, um, very restricted. It's not like it is today. Um, so, you know, people were connecting on 14.4 modems and 28.8 modems and later 56K modems, which is like, you know, snail speed when you compare it to how we all connect today. Yep. Um, so people would transfer these audio files to their portable player um, overnight. Um, and then in the morning before they went to work, they, they would just pick up their little portable media player and take it with them to work. And so that's kind of um, how podcasting kind of developed and Adam basically enabled that process process to happen. So that's why when I talk about um, specifically my orientation to podcasting, it tends to be related to a new form of distribution and consumption of this uh, of this type of um, audio. In the early days, podcasting had a lot of video in it too. It was about twenty about twenty five percent of the market really? was was video podcasts. So they were handled in the exact same way that we see with audio. It just that link in there was to an MP4 file instead of an mm. MP3 file. So and those exist today. The the show that I do, the new media show today with Todd Cochran. Um, that's still distributed as a video podcast. So you can actually go subscribe to um, that version of the podcast and do the same thing as you would do with audio and it would transfer to your, your iPhone as a video file. And then you could just click play in your iPhone um, and on what, play. what app on the iPhone, the Apple podcast app? Right. And mm -hmm. or or the, the, the iTunes app, um, or yeah, so Apple Podcasts support video and audio. So it's one of the few um, podcasting apps that still supports video, though, because um, back in the earlier days of the medium, um, when when YouTube started up and Facebook and Twitter and all this, I mean, there was a social media revolution that happened in about 2007 to 2009 that really took a lot of, um, was a big distraction from the growth and development of podcasting back in those days because people were focused on, you know, those, the development of those platforms and people weren't really paying too much attention to podcasting back in those years. Um, but yet it was still growing and still doing, doing well. But um, yeah, I, Basically, YouTube got all those videos um, because it was free to host because uh, large files of video are big, right? So they take a lot of bandwidth. And so platforms, I mean, even Lipson today still supports uh, video podcasts. And so does Blueberry. Um, but there's just a handful of the, of, of the platforms that were around very early in the medium that still support video. Got it. Got it. And, and to make things, you know, less technical for people who might be listening, you know, let me just explain how uh, some of these things work from a podcasting perspective. So I use SoundCloud, you know, people use Lipsyn, Blueberry, uh, Acast, what have you, you know, to host their podcasts. And, you know, you create like an RSS feed, like Rob said, and that RSS feed, I upload the audio to just SoundCloud because SoundCloud is like my primary host. Then mm -hmm. other, you know, um, I guess I can still call them podcatchers that I'm subscribed yeah. to. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
scan the internet to look if there's a new file that has been uploaded to that particular RSS feed. So as I upload a new episode every week, it's kind of like I can liken it to remember back in the day, uh, if you're old enough, where you wait for the radio to play your favorite song, then immediately they play your favorite song, you slot in the cassette and record, uh, you know, uh, your song so you can listen to it later. Right. Kind of think of like an automated process to do that. So you wait for Rick D's when it's coming up with the weekly top 40 on Mondays at 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. and you go there and record the whole week, Rick D's show so you can listen to it. That's how uh, the podcatchers scan the internet every few hours to see if there's a new upload on that RSS feed. Then they add it and that's how your new episodes go up. So uh, Dave Weiner created the RSS feed and Adam Curry, who was a former MTV VJ, created the first podcatcher. And RSS feeds can be used for PDF file, text, right. audio, video, anything. So right. I, I guess uh, Adam Curry created specifically for audio and that's what like birthed like podcast mm-hmm. yeah and he also did a lot of uh, a lot of pr and outreach um got got articles in like usa today and did did a podcast himself so that was very popular so he popularized it by actually being a podcaster but he also mm-hmm. did did a lot of pr i mean there was a lot of um, buzz around podcasting back then you know um like in wired magazine i believe that there was a a a picture of a, a bullet going through a, a radio back in those days. <laughs> and, and it was all about podcasting, right? That was going to kill the, the, the radio, radio star, right? So, and that's, that really hasn't happened. Um, it but it will. Well, I ultimately, I think the pathways uh, for the decline of radio and the, the growth of podcasting have been set in stone for a long time. It's just a matter of time. Mm. Um, and because podcasting wasn't growing like in a hockey stick, it, I mean, it wasn't growing like this. It was kind of growing like this. So it was chipping away. And that's why it took 16 years for us to see really, really accelerated growth. And when I say accelerated growth uh, in audience, I'm talking like five or 6% a year. So, you know, we're not talking about doubling audience year over year, but obviously as the numbers get bigger, that five or 6% equates to a a lot more listeners. Um, What we have seen happen over the last three months since this COVID crisis happened Mm. is an explosion of new podcasts coming Mm -hmm. into the medium. I think over the last three months, three to four months, we've seen probably close to 400,000 mm-hmm. new podcasts get, get birthed uh, yeah. and, and started and pushed out to all the listening platforms. And so that is, that's a pretty remarkable development in the podcasting space, I have to say. And I, I credit the uh, coronavirus or the yep. COVID virus for that because a lot of people had a lot of extra time at home yep. um, where they could they could do stuff versus getting on the bus and the train or airplanes or what whatever and had to be um, you know commuting to work. So yep, I, I feel like the coronavirus, like you said, has accelerated a lot of things. Not just in podcasting, just yeah. the way we work, the way we're going to live. Like a lot of things are going to change, but specifically in podcasting, like you said, a lot of people had more free time on their hands. So we saw like three hundred fifty-eight thousand shows created in the last three months. But unfortunately, like like the average podcast i think the average number of episodes before a pod face like we say in the industry is like five episodes so once you once the average podcast publishes like 50 percent of podcasts fade away after they publish five episodes and we call that like a pod face uh what what do you think can be done to kind of like make those numbers better or do you think it's better for the industry to have like a few let's say like 50 to 100,000 uh podcasts that, that are really good and specific and consistent or do you think we should just keep making it free for all and 
people publishing whatever they want, but not being consistent with that content. Well, I mean, my philosophy is more open. Um, mm. That's what's really unique that we need to hold on to with this medium is it's one of the few mediums that is completely open. Um, and it's a blank canvas, really. And that's, I think that's been its strength. And I think some would say that it's also been a weakness too, right? So mm-hmm. kind of have a trade-off with this. Um, openness um, creates an environment that's a little less structured, a little less organized, a little less cohesive. There's fewer standards. There's fewer you know, compliant type issues that are involved. Um, but there's also the other side of it is that it's just this wild and amazing kind of creative medium where, you know, anything can happen, anything can develop, what good or bad, right? I mean, from, you know, the, the whole spectrum. Uh, and it's open, it's diverse, it's open to anyone to contribute. It's not going to have any gatekeepers that say this content isn't good enough, um, though there are players getting into the medium that have a philosophy like that but that doesn't that doesn't go to the core of the podcasting medium as a rss based open standards distribution thing it, that kind of you know is this judgment of content is living within various kind of listening platforms but that doesn't exclude that's not excluding you from being able to produce content and distribute it because there are plenty of other places that will take anybody's content. Mm. Um, and frankly, you don't even need a listening platform. Uh, you can post it to your own website. You can have your own RSS feed. You can, you know, it's completely independent of any big company. Uh, and I think that that's one of the, the, the core values that this medium needs to hold on. I agree. I agree. You know, it's kind of like democratized media in the sense, just like how social media and Twitter did. So before, if you wanted to respond or, you know, put out like an opinion, you had to go to newspapers where like the gatekeepers about social media change that and podcast is kind of like doing that for the audio mm-hmm. market. Uh, also like the barrier to entry as far as costs, uh, is concerned is pretty low and it has gotten lower and lower as each year passes. From what I understand, when you were trying to do your radio show and you had to build a studio in your house, like in the early 2000s, you spent like $20,000 doing yeah. that. Like I podcast and I don't think my equipment, like my laptop, my microphone and everything, I don't think everything costs up to, I don't know, four or five hundred dollars maybe. And that the right. bulk of the cost is my laptop. Right, right. And back in back in the you know, late 90s, there were um, audio production uh, technology and equipment and software and stuff was pretty expensive. So, I mean, it isn't like what we see today where you can go and get a high quality microphone for $59. The mics that you know were available that I saw were either really bad Mm. if they were cheap (laughs) they sounded horrible um and if you wanted to sound good uh you had to spend you know three or four or five hundred dollars per microphone to get some because i mean a lot of the manufacturers the microphone manufacturers were catering to radio stations they were catering to music producers studios so they were very much focused on the the high end the other thing about podcasting which was different is that how people were listening and this is part of a fundamental shift that happened over time is that as people were starting to listen to to downloadable mp3 files they became a little bit more tolerant of lower quality audio too so Mm -hmm. so this this bar of quality wasn't quite as high back, uh, which also enabled the growth of the medium um, for people listening and earbuds, things like that, instead of the expensive headphones, which was common, you know, prior to that. And and people were still 
really into high fidelity audio back then, but those were usually produced in high end studios and things like that. But once you started um, moving towards podcasting, it was like home based stuff, right? People yep. were doing stuff out of their uh, out of their bedrooms or their garage or in their basements or whatever, uh, starting producing content. And we started to see more musicians start to do this kind of stuff too. And then YouTube started and we started to see people doing, you know, video. So you can see how this has grown and developed and, and technology has been applied to this. And we now have really good microphones for 50 bucks. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a technological revolution really is what, what's happened with podcasting. Like, like you say, I mean, like my setup here, um, you know, to do the equivalent of what I'm doing right now back in 1999 would probably have been a hundred thousand dollars. So, you know, I mean, I got this whole setup probably for less than probably two to 3000. So it's, it, it's, um, and I never calculated that. I've got multiple computers and, you know, a 4k camcorder as far as my video camera and lights and all this kind of stuff. So it's, it's a, pretty advanced and I've got a good good quality microphone and things like that that are easy to to use and take advantage of and, and so that, that's how things have changed is that we we can do this stuff from home and, and this COVID thing really created an environment where a lot of the major broadcasters became podcasters yep. just like it was the NBC videos now right. and all their reporters are right. broadcasting from home <laughs> right right so you know that's accelerating things too because what, what it's doing is it, it's causing the larger um, population to recognize this is a is a valid way of producing content. It's it's not common to to have a lot of those hosts use microphones like this because we prioritize audio. Now I I do have lavalier as a clip on microphones. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. That I could clip onto my shirt that mm -hmm. could make me look like I'm you know doing a show on CNN or something like that. Um, so I mean, it's just a matter of getting little technologies and you can you can make that leap yeah i mean i certainly agree i started podcasting in november 2018 and even in i think almost two years now like a year and uh 10 months or whatever like i've seen a massive shift i remember when i was thinking about starting my podcast and i was on campus uh, going to school at american university in washington dc and my first few episodes i used to go to the school's uh, school of communication because they had mm -hmm. a studio i was in the business school but i'll go to the school of communication i'll you know Help, tell my friends there to help me get a key and I'll go in there and I'll record even though I wasn't supposed to like that kind of thing but I always thought you needed like a full padded physical location studio but now a lot of people like as I continue to do podcasting like this is a mobile setup a lot of people even do outdoor podcasting like where you go in the street mm -hmm. and like ask people questions or go in the woods and record things and come back and edit that yeah. so it's, it's really coming down in terms of cost well let's talk about cost on the other side monetizing podcasts because mm -hmm. A lot of people would like to see podcasts monetized more and more. I think um, the ad spend on podcasts, what is it now, like 800 million or so? I think it's like yeah, anticipated it's, to yeah. hit a billion like next year, 2021. Yeah, I think in that time frame, it, it, it may hit a billion, probably 2021, 2022, something like that. I mean, somewhere around there, it'll it, it'll probably cross over is what I'm hoping. It just depends on what happens to the economy over the next year. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, but I mean, a billion dollars in maybe a year or two from now, that's still a far cry from the 20, $20 billion spent on radio advertising mm -hmm. in the U.S. specifically. So let's talk about different ways to monetize. And I just want to pick your brain on what you think about this. Um, so typically, uh, the first 
you know, set of podcasters that advertise this approach. And even till now, the most, I can say the most effective way are, is a host red ad. So in the middle of your episode or before your episode, like a pre-roll before your episode, mid-roll during your episode or post-roll after your episode, you read out like an ad that this podcast is brought to you by XYZ, get their products, use this code, blah, blah, blah. But dynamic ad insertion has been trying to get people like you have platforms like Megaphone, uh, platforms like Spree who tend to use more programmatic ads. So to just insert ads into episode, depending on what the podcast is talking about. So kind of like Google ads, but they've had some pushback from podcasters and listeners saying that, oh, we still want host red ads because that's the most intimate form of ad, but it might not be sustainable to grow host red ads. If you keep getting bigger and bigger, it might just be easier to plug into a dynamic ad insertion platform to have ads on your podcast. What is your opinion about host red ads for versus dynamic ad insertions. Well, this is another one, one of those areas that's complicated because um, there's kind of two cultures behind these um, two forms of advertising. Um, you know, the host red baked in ads are still today the vast majority of the, the revenue um, in the podcasting advertising business comes in from baked in host read ads. So, I mean, it's the technology revolution of dynamic ad insertion and programmatic ad buying is, has has started to make some inroads into this medium to hopefully do like you say to you know it's pretty labor intensive to run uh, for, for a, a brand or a advertiser to run a campaign that's a host read baked into the content and and the more traditional relationship where the the advertiser you know shares a sample of the product and sends them talking points and the host can kind of ad lib the ad and stuff um, is really old school around podcasting. Um, and, and has been the mainstay. Um, but technology is kind of, you know, encroaching here and trying to automate these things so we can scale it much larger. Um, one of the pushbacks of that, though, is is the the advertisers value the baked in ads more because of their very um, of the Organic type feel. of ads, right? Of the type of ads that they are, are so unique. Um, they're they're more authentic. They're more real. They're they're baked into the content, which means that they don't have an expiration date. So typically, when an advertiser buys a campaign, even if it's a host read, they they buy a certain window of time that that ad runs. But guess yep. what? They get all that time after the the ad campaign is over with. So so a lot of them ha- have been resistant to to converting over to the dynamic ad insertion, even though you can you can do a, a host read type of pre-recorded spot, just like you would baked in into dynamic ad insertion. And and you know, some of the larger platforms are are doing that. And it, it, it does work. Uh, and it it really isn't too much different. If you do it right, it doesn't yep. sound any different. But the the advertiser sees it as different because when they're buying, a, let's say, a eight week window of running um, an ad campaign, at the end of eight weeks, guess what? All the ads are gone. Are gone <laughs> <laughs> because they've been replaced by a new campaign. So they typically don't see. They don't think there's as much value there. So there's a little bit of a trade off there. And and so and. It, at the end of the day, it's really about the content of the ad too. What's the quality of the production of the of the ad? Is it um, authentic read by the host? Is it uh, a talent read by a voiceover artist? Um, or is it a radio-like ad, which typically is what's purchased in the programmatic platform? 
is that those ads are produced by the agencies that are representing the brands mm. and they they upload the same ad that they would run on you know Pandora or they would run on Spotify's you know linear streaming environment um, that would be a little bit more like what you would hear on syndicated or broadcast radio so that's the that at, at the core that's the tug of war on this and those ads those more syndicated ads or the radio like ads tend to, to get purchased at a much lower uh, price price so, yeah it's just like google ads like cents model, on the dollars right. yeah right exactly it's more like in the the baked in ads um tend to sell for anywhere from 18 to 40 or 50 dollars per thousand listen mm-hmm. it's called a cpm cpm call it. cost per minute on the programmatic side on the radio ad the the ad buyers think of that um, programmatic ad buying. It's almost like a remnant uh, radio advertising, which is like off peak hours, all this stuff, and, and that's how they think of these buys on these programmatic platforms. So the CPM rates are typically between like four and maybe as high as like ten or twelve dollars per thousand listeners, which you can see that's a huge difference. Yep. Yep. You know. Got so it. say. And really, there's no real reason why the CPM should be so low. Uh, and that's, I think, at, at the core, one of the struggles that the industry has is, is how do we value um, podcast advertising the same, right? Versus having these two, we've allowed these this separation to happen of perceived value. I mean, and, some people can argue that, you know, if you're doing a host rate ad, you're not only because if, if, if I'm doing a dynamic ad insertion, right, I don't need to do the work of like recording the ad or producing it or doing anything. So you're also paying for my labor, not just ad time, but my labor in reading that ad, producing it a certain way. And some will even argue that the conversions on those host red ads are a lot better. So that's why it's more valuable than uh, dynamic uh, inserted uh, advertising of some sort. And for some of our listeners, uh, you know, who might be thinking about what we're talking about, um, think of like websites, right? You know, that thing where if you search on Google for new shoes, then every new website you're going to have like those shoes on it so host red ads versus dynamic ads host red ads are kind of like i'm you know talking on a show on a podcast and i take a break in the middle of the podcast or before or after the podcast to talk to you about an ad i say it in my voice that's why it's called host red ad so think of a website that has its own banner ad that's like those are kind of like host red ads dynamic ads are kind of like i, I say you know i, I say i discuss mm-hmm. about a one-hour episode on the podcast i leave out five minutes for an ad and i sell that space to a platform there are different platforms like megaphone speaker who shop around for advertisers that have already had pre-recorded ads that can then insert their audio into that five minute slot so think of it like that googling the shoe then if you go to a website google that owns blogger or wordpress has some slots for for them and you also have some slots for you on your particular website so it's been like a cause for concern that is host red ad better is dynamic ad insertion better and some podcasters are you know reading different ads in their own voice then using that to do dynamic ad insertions in their podcasts and other podcasts so it's, it's a really unique situation yeah and that can work i mean and i think that that's where the industry needs to go is i, I think there needs to be a, a, a focus more on what's the type of ad content that the audience is more likely to, number one, respond to in a positive mm. way, and also that's more compatible with the listening experience, right? Because, I mean, a lot of the, the radio ads that are produced that are used in these programmatic platforms are are not really 
like can I say, compatible with the medium of podcast. Mm-hmm. And that that's what listeners push back on. And it also, because of the lower CPM rate, tends to encourage or reward podcasters that um, want to add more insertion spots, right? Or yeah. more ads to their show, which yeah. also runs against the grain of, of why podcasting um, has emerged was because of the over-commercialization of radio. Yeah. So, so there is a tendency to want to add more more ads to your show, which can, you know, give a less pleasant experience to the listener, which is always the trade-off. Yep. Yep. And, you know, I've thought about dynamic ads insertion really being used by podcast networks. So I'm a huge believer in podcast networks and I, you know, subscribe to, I mean, the most popular one I follow is the loudspeaker network in New York. Mm -hmm. They have Mm -hmm. a bunch of shows, so it'll make sense if some of their hosts just read different ads and they use that as ads on other shows. Maybe it might be, there might be some value there, but I wasn't as much of a believer in dynamic ad insertion up until the coronavirus till recently. So like you said, we had a lot of time. So I was listening to a lot of NPR shows, particularly how I built this with Guy Raz, which is like a popular podcast in the US that's been running for I think six or seven years. And I went back to very old episodes. I went back to episodes they did, I think in 2016, 2017. And I was hearing ads that were recent. You know, I listened to a 2016 ad and, you know, they were talking about, oh, you know, based on what's going on with the riots right now, this hour, like, wait, wasn't this aired in 2016? How? (laughs) So that's when I saw the value of dynamic ad insertion and I went to do more research and I saw how McDonald's was using dynamic ad insertion to promote their breakfast menu. So if you do a whole street ad, it'll be there forever. If you go back to that podcast 10 years from now, it'll still be there. But McDonald's can do it in a way that podcasts are published in the morning and people listen to in the morning. So a lot of the news time podcasts, they can advertise their breakfast menu between like 6 a.m. and 9 Mm a.m. when people usually have breakfast. Now that ad won't be as important during the afternoon time because no one will be looking to eat breakfast in the afternoon. So it just gave me, uh, it made my well, eyes do. open to some how do. important. Well, some do. <laughs> and all breakfast yeah, I buffet, love, I love guess. Pancakes and waffles for dinner. It's great. Oh, well, you have a Seattle background, so I can understand. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I can understand where that's coming from. What about monetizing listenership? Like this is something that I think a lot of Chinese uh, podcast app and social media app, and there's no intersectionality between you know China and the rest of the world, or let me say the US and China. Um, a lot of people are you know trying their best to use like PayPal links. A lot of people use Patreon uh, platforms like Memberful and Supercast are coming up that allow people mm-hmm. to subscribe uh to their shows how do we get more value out of the listeners because a lot of listeners feel so <clears throat> intimate with the podcast host and they want to support the podcast host by donating like one dollar a month or something but most of the big podcasters like apple Podcasts haven't provided links for direct support so you have to like go outside that platform you know integrate supercast or memberful or something for people right. to support what do you think is going to change how do you think we can get more value out of the listeners is there anything you've heard that's going on or that people are working on right now well, I, I do agree with the premise of your question is that kind of more the donation model, uh, I, I think, has something that um, that the medium needs in, in, in the long run. Right. So I, I do think that the listening platforms uh, need to think about donation models as well, because uh, some shows aren't going to want to run advertising mm-hmm. and and but yet they shouldn't be locked out from being able to to bring in some some revenue uh, if they're producing terrific content 
um, advertising shouldn't be their only option, right? So there's there's the donation models that are out there, like the Patreon, like like you said, and those are typically value exchanges uh, around bonus content, maybe um, recognition of audience members in the content itself in the program. There's a value exchange of of the audience being involved in the program more with um, donation models, and then the, there's also the premium side too, where you, you basically require a payment. Uh, for listening, and those, that that is another model that's getting um, more and more traction out there as well. You mean like so, Luminary and platforms yeah, like that? Yeah, I mean, like it's, the Netflix of podcasting kind of thing. Right, right, and it's definitely um, a, a much smaller set of of shows can really properly do that and drive value because there, there's just so much free content out there. It's yep. it's difficult for any given show to go strictly um, premium um, or premium subscription type of model um, and be successful at that. You're going to lose the vast majority of your audience along that path too. And if that's acceptable to you, then you're basically, you know, you're, you're starting with a smaller pool. And what I've seen happen with some popular shows with that is that over time they will build their audience, but it's going to take time. You have to be very patient with it. And you also, you know, you, you really shouldn't run advertising in a show that's on a premium model, uh, though some will try. And I, I, I believe that we're going to see more of that in the future, but uh, premium could go a little broader too. Premium could go like to a Spotify platform. That mm-hmm. could be, you know, people pay for access to Spotify yep. and you just get all these podcasts with yep. all the music, right? All bundled in under a subscription model. Yep. Um, then there, there's the models that are associated with an individual show um, that you subscribe to. And that's kind of the spectrum, the donation model and then the premium model. And those are pretty much um, the direct audience or uh, brand or advertiser type monetization models. Now, there are other ways that people make money from their podcasts too, and that is to do with consulting or selling other types of trainings or our uh, materials that um, that the podcaster is an expert in that shares with their audience or creates a mastermind program or whatever. And the podcast is used as kind of like a community building um, medium for that. Yep. Uh, so there, there are other models, and then there's branded podcasts that don't care about advertising at all. Oh yeah, so we'll, we'll, and we'll talk about that like in a bit. But I just wanted to like, when will the you know, I, I guess I can say the the behemoth of the podcasting industry is kind of like Apple Podcasts, and I think on their last uh, what they call it um, financials or whatever, like podcasting didn't even amount to like two percent of their revenue. So maybe no. until like the sale of the iPhone slows down and they're looking at expanding their con uh, their revenue stream, maybe that's when they'll focus more on podcasting. Because to be honest, like it's kind of like the App Store. Like every app you buy on the Apple App Store, Apple gets a cut because it's being hosted. They can do the same with podcasting. They already have, you know, more than 50% of the world's podcasts on their platform. They already have everyone's credit card uh, being linked to their iTunes account. So if they want to, you know, offer some premium services, just tweaking some codes here and there, and they can easily do that. But maybe it's not as important for them because when they look at the the revenue, they're like, you know, let's just keep this uh, for now and hopefully they they get into it. But, But like you said, you know, other people are finding unique ways 
ways to uh, monetize their podcast. People are selling merchandise. Uh, podcast touring is becoming a real thing. Uh, I mean, this is pre-coronavirus, obviously. Uh, but a lot of people tour to these smaller venues. And, you know, these smaller venues that don't necessarily see as much musical artists coming every week today, you know, that lose mu- musical artists to bigger venues are sustaining themselves by doing podcasts and comedy tours. So that's something that's growing. I don't think there's a company that does tours just for podcasts, but I can see like a company like a live nation for podcasts kind of like coming up to to kind of like cater to that audience. And like you said, podcast branded content, like people actually set up production houses to produce podcasts for, you know, Nike and, you know, bigger brands uh, like that. Do you think that's, because that's, that's something I believe in a lot. Like when I talk to my brother about podcasting, I'm like, you know what I see in the next five years and it's good that I'm talking to you about this. Like I kind of like see podcasting how website was. So when websites started, like a lot of companies like in the mid 90s had to have a website. Like we even had the troll era of websites where people go buy Nike.com, then Nike will have to buy off them. So um, I see podcasting as a service kind of like in a way, like the early days of websites where you go to a WordPress or go to a GoDaddy to get a website, there'll be these services like a GoDaddy of podcasts that offers podcasts to companies. So if you're a local bread shop in Wyoming and you need to have a podcast, like you have your website, you have your social media handles, but you also want to add a podcast, like you can go to that company and they'll help you like produce it in a way or like structure it like a website. Is that something you see uh, happening in the future? Well, I think um, I think you kind of already see a lot of that right now with mm. the, the hosting platforms, you know, like the Lipson and Blueberries and the Spreakers and, and those companies are kind of getting getting kind of close to that kind of stuff. And I, I think some of them, uh, and I think what you're starting to see happen with the big music streaming platforms is they're also acquiring podcast hosting companies and podcast advertising companies and networks. And so there is a certain amount of consolidation that's happening um, that's kind of, you know, in a lot of ways, kind of verticalizing um, the the podcasting market right now around content and advertising on the business side and the distribution side. So, you know, I think you're seeing a lot of that stuff starts to develop right now. I do agree with your your premise that I I think more and more uh, live live events uh, once we come out of this COVID thing, if we come out of it, um, will become you know something that will happen. Uh, and, and grow more than than what we're seeing right now. It's definitely fallen off the wagon. You know, for for many years, uh, live podcasting on stage um, and people paying for tickets and all this stuff like that was it was a great way to market your podcast and connect mm-hmm. with your audience and and get in front of them and and uh, make that deeper connection. And, and a lot of podcasts made a lot of money from touring. So. Just like with uh, music artists, music artists make a lot of money from touring too and doing live events and things like that. So I do think that there is um, something in the future for that that's going to help podcasting. But in the meantime, we're kind of in this virtual world now, which is helping in other ways. Most definitely. What about gamifying podcasts? Like there's something I was doing some research into how streaming services operate in China and some of them incorporate some, they gamify some of those streaming services. So unlike Spotify, where you just listen to, uh, you know, your favorite song and create your playlist and that's about it. You know, the way China works with like WeChat and QQ, like everything they kind of like have these super apps where you can do your banking, your shopping, your house hunting, your podcast, everything from one app. 
and they kind of like cross-reference everything. So if you are listening to like a streaming service, you can do like a karaoke sing-along or like interact like a mini social media with the artists and do things like that. And that's something I think can be done in podcasting. Like if I'm a host reading out something, I can do, I can say like, hey, you know, open up your app right now and the first hundred people to answer this question, you know, get to come to my show. And, you know, it's that live interaction. So not just listening. It's like you're also like kind of like there. Have you seen anything like like that in the upper echelons of the podcasting industry? Do you think anybody's working on something like that? Uh, I do think that we're going to see podcasting get integrated in with um, other forms of, of media here as you look look forward. And, and, and I think you're seeing signs of it um, that have been around for a long time, um, but it, it just hasn't jumped to the level that you're talking about there. I think what you're talking about that is just massive consolidation of um, online services and, and products. And, I, and I, I do think you see it to some degree with an Amazon. Mm. Um, they yep. have done done a lot of that and they, they're in audio books. They're in to to they're more and more moving into podcasting. They've got these, uh, you know, these smart speaker platform that's going to become more, um, more pervasive out there in cars and um, appliances and lots of places in our world. I think that the um, smart agent technology or the smart speaker technology is also a, a revolution that's bubbling in the in the background of the future of podcasting that we haven't seen fully develop yet. Um, but it it has the potential of of really transforming um, this medium into being a much more pervasive medium across um, lots of experiences and i you know how far this goes uh it's it's hard to predict right now i mean mm. how far does audio penetrate uh people's lives i you know i think the direction that we're doing going on right now with these smart speakers and voice control and voice um access to information i think really opens the door for podcasting in many many ways that we maybe we haven't thought of before maybe these smart speakers become the ways that people produce podcasts too so i mm. you know it's it you know the door is open pretty pretty wide and and until we kind of get this covid thing under control i think some of them are not going to be fully developed yeah most definitely and some people in the tech industry believe that voice tech is the next frontier so when right. they say emerging technology you know blockchain um artificial intelligence and some right. people put in voice tech there like you said um um amazon alexa uh uh, Apple, Siri, all these companies. And I think even Sonos is developing their own kind of like voice tech and they're integrating it in, into everything from microwave waves to like doors, to fridges, to right. cars. Right. And if voice tech is going to be the next frontier, or one of the next frontier, a podcasting being an intimate form of content distribution in the voice category, maybe that has a role to play in there as well. Do you think companies like large corporations like the Nikes and the Walmarts of this world, do you think most of them are starting to develop an audio strategy? Kind of like what we saw in the late 2000s, like 2008, nine, where a lot of companies started to develop a social media strategy and started appointing like a digital media and started like employing a digital media marketing manager in their marketing department. Do you think companies are developing an audio strategy? I was listening to a podcast episode one that had the head uh, the head of marketing for MasterCard. And he said that MasterCard had to um, 
produce an audio signature for the company. So just like how they have their visual signatures, the two circles and MasterCard, anywhere you see MasterCard accepted here, they are producing like an audio signature, kind of like how Windows, when you start a Windows computer right. back in the day, yeah. you have that dun, 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 you know. Yeah, like, yeah, it's audio branding is what they Yeah, audio it. branding, right. that kind of right. thing. Do you think companies are like focusing more on audio strategy or that hasn't really started to happen just yet? No, I th I think a lot of the big companies have already been moving down that path. And, you know, a lot of them are trying to produce podcasts, uh, mm. you know, about their brands. I mean, one one good example, and it's not a huge company, but it's Trader Joe's here in the U.S. Um, has had a an audio podcasting strategy for a while to to connect with their customers and to build the the brand reputation that um, that Trader Joe's brand has um, around its sourcing of its products and, and where it comes from and the quality behind them and things like that. So I think if you can develop a strategy with audio that supports the brand uh, perception and brand relationship that you have with your your customers or your your audience, um, it can be a, a powerful next step. And and I think that the other part that hasn't really been fully deployed yet is the augmented reality type of um, visual experiences too. So you mm. you kind of have another layer going on here too. So you have the the voice controls, um, voice access. Um, these smart agent technologies will will actually know more about your life than than you do. And I and maybe that's something that people are going to feel uncomfortable about too. So there may be privacy pushback on some of these things too. Uh, once technology becomes much more pervasive uh, around voice control and maybe people aren't using smartphones quite as much, maybe there's other types of ways that we connect with these these computing environments via voice. Uh, I think you're starting to see it a little bit with like the ear pods or the um, um, the Apple uh, you know pods that people are are wearing all the time now that has voice control over the the mobile phone. I can envision a, a future where maybe we're all wearing glasses or we have implants or something. You know, who knows how far this is going to go? <laughs> Don't say but, the I word just yet. <laughs> right, right, and and that you could trigger or activate access to content or contribute content through these these type of uh, platforms um, as you look look to the future. And, and I, I think the opportunities and the expansion of this are, you know, I think still yet a little unknown yet, but um, I, I, I do think it's coming. And I, I think voice control of a lot of things and access to content is definitely um, it's here right now, actually, you know, you're, you're a smart speaker, you can ask for a podcast right now and it'll start playing. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. uh, that can be done on your mobile phone too. So, you know, I think in a lot of ways, what is here is already here. I mean, what is possible is already here. It's just how already much here. people are using it yet. Got it. Got it. Support for the Cultural Class Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology development to provide you the best tools for your grooming experiences. In essence, this is a high-tech pubic shaver for men and women. While living the quarantine life, it might be difficult for most of us to pay attention to personal hygiene. This is because everyone is indoors. You know, it's difficult to find a barber. However, with Manscaped, you don't need to let your groin area look like your beard. 
especially if you have a significant other that you stay with or you're close to. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and has just released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. The third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. I mean, the shaver is also water resistant, so you can groom yourself in the shower. And when I say groom yourself, I mean shave. Manscaped was kind enough to send me a box and I have it right here. One of the coolest features is the LED lights, which illuminates the groin area or the grooming area for a closer, more precise trimming. Now you have a light on the trimmer so you can see what you're doing while you're trimming. So you can get all those hidden errors, you know what I mean. They've also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. This means it's not loud. No one knows what you're doing. Trim that junk of yours. Get 20% off plus free shipping when you use the code CULTURECLASS at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Lady listeners, this will be a great gift for your guys as well. If you're thinking about what to get your husband or your boyfriend or your significant other, you can get him a lawnmower 3.0. Just go to manscaped.com. And use the promo code Culture Class while checking out to get 20% off and free shipping. Once again, 20% off free shipping. Go to manscaped.com and use the code Culture Class. Now let's get back to the show. And talking about, you know, access to content, like what Spotify is doing right now, because for a long time, I guess like a lot of the podcasts were being controlled by the Apple platform, but now you have more and more platforms trying to take away that uh, market share, particularly with Spotify, what they've done over the last three or four years with their podcasting strategy, but they bought uh, the Ringer, Bill Simmons, they bought... Um, what Gimlet Media, they signed Joe Rogan exclusively. Now they have Michelle Obama producing the podcast. Just, uh, do you think this is good for the industry to kind of like have more of these big networks come in so there'll be competition and things will be made better for podcasters? Or do you think it's dangerous in the sense that it leads to that gatekeeper mentality where we have the NBC, CPS, and kind of like three like three stations that controls everything? Yeah, well, and then add, add to the list the, the more recent announcements uh, being put out there by Sirius XM and Pandora, mm, yep. uh, basically making acquisitions of podcast hosting platforms very similar to what you're, you've seen with Spotify. Um, so you can see that, yeah, I mean, there is a, a, a trend towards consolidation and bringing these bigger platforms um, on, on online that um, that have that kind of power. Uh, and it, it gets back to what we were talking about earlier around the openness of RSS is that, you know, some of these bigger companies that are aggregating hundreds of millions of listeners are, are creating a gatekeeper type of an environment that could start to infringe on the openness of the medium. Um, and, and, but these big companies, I mean, there's, I, I guess, a good side to it, too. These big companies are starting to compete with each other for listeners, which means that they're probably more likely to invest in the medium, grow the medium, and to, and to um, offer better experiences for consumption of this medium. You know, I worked on the, the Zoom podcasting platform at, at a small company called Microsoft for six That's years. Small company. And, yeah. <laughs> and so they, they, they went down the path for, for a few years, too. And 
and they were the second largest podcast listening platform back in back when I was working there. Um, that was prior to Spotify and prior to these music streaming platforms. But Zune was a music platform as well. If you if you look at podcasting, it's very much linked up to the pathways of music uh, and in the music platforms. You know, Apple Apple iTunes was prim- primarily a, a music platform, uh, and then they added podcasting, the same thing that Microsoft did, and now you're seeing it with Spotify and Pandora and all these other ones. So there's a very common and similar pattern that's going on. Got it, got it. What are your thoughts about podcast networks? I have, you know, aspirations to kind of like start a network in the future. Um, podcast networks for the benefits of our listeners are kind of like TV networks, right? They, you know, have different shows under them, kind of like cross promote their shows, uh, buy advertising together. So think of it like an MTV or a VH1 and an MTV might have a 106 a park or what different shows under them. Because um, we kind of like also have like a proliferation of podcast network, just like we have proliferation of podcasts and not a lot of them are specific we have specific ones like barstool sports that focuses majorly on sports but most of them try to cut across a lot of things are you a big believer in podcast networks Uh, do you think they are adding value to podcasting or do you think they are just uh, serving their own selfish interests want to make money well there's there's two ends of the spectrum like actually there's really kind of three parts to that network um, conversation and that that's the networks that are formed that are doing all original uh, shows themselves. Mm, I'm wondering. They're, 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 they're producing all of their, their own podcasts. And then there's other networks that are kind of hybrid models between them partnering with other shows that are produced outside of their, their network um, that have um, producers that are very much separate from the network, but cooperative with the network. And then there's um, other ones that are all just, uh, you know, separate and not the, the network isn't doing any production of content. Uh, so, you know, those are the three that are out there. Um, and each one of them kind of has its own value equation. Um, the the networks that, that have a bunch of indie producers that are not, um, that those shows are not owned by the network, they tend to have a looser relationship with each other. And it tends to focus more on ad sales and cross-promotion. Yep. Um, where the the blended models between the networks that have that maybe part of their network has um, owned and operated shows is what I call it, or shows that are being produced by the, by the network, and then other shows that they've added on that are not. Those tend to um, have a little bit more um, traction in the marketplace, somewhat because mm-hmm. they they built their network based on their own content philosophies around the shows that they produce. So they tend to partner with shows that have a common content philosophy. And then the other end of the spectrum are, are, are the networks that are solely produced. All the shows that are on that network are produced by the network. So they, they, they have a very common kind of content um, ideology uh, and content brand and content uh, marketing strategy that is very consistent. And so each, each one of them has a varying degree of value depending on you know, um, the, the content and the production values and things like that. So if you're a, if you're a podcaster, um, you, your only real option is to partner with the ones that are, that are, um, doing a hybrid model between original and, um, partnered and then ones that are just doing partner, or you have the option if you're producing a show to just create your own network of, uh, shows that you're producing, um, a variety of different shows. And that's happened quite often. Um, and I tend to see the, the, the networks that are most successful typically are 
are the ones that have either the hybrid model or the owned and operated entirely um, uh, networks. So kind of like Netflix, the, right? Has its own Netflix original shows, but has content that they license for a particular right, point. Right. So, so networks that are formed around just all indie producers, ones that that um, that the network doesn't own, uh, I think those tend to struggle a little bit because there's a lot of um, there's not as much consistency in in content uh, value and content uh, no overall brand, strategy. Brand. Right, mm-hmm. right. I think it's almost easier to do the hybrid model because uh, in podcasting, it's very easy to be a podcaster and do like a solo show or do like a, have a co-host or do like an interview-based show like this. But to produce those high-value content, kind of like documentary form, like how Wondery does, does with like Business Wars and all these other shows, like that requires some investment. Like you have to get mm-hmm. like producers, mixers, time, money. So a network that produces those kind of shows and adds on shows maybe if, if it's like i don't know like a, a movie network produces those movies and adds on those shows that talk about movie reviews and like star wars kind of right. thing like that makes a lot of sense and i haven't thought about it like that thank you for uh kind of like shedding some light about that what about regulation like obviously it'll get to a point where podcasting we're seeing in the tech industry so now like where facebook and twitter and all those uh, companies started off and you know they didn't see need for regulation talking about the government but when they started affecting like elections and shifting narratives and doing all these things and are talking about regulating them don't you think there'll be a point in time where maybe the i don't know what's it called in the u.s the communication commission or something will like focus on podcasts kind of like create yeah. standards yeah, that will eventually happen now yeah. right yeah. yeah i think you're talking about the fcc the fcc um, yeah right right and and just also to give a little context too, Twitter started out as a podcast. I don't know if you. Oh yeah, I, um, yeah. What's the name of that? They started uh, out as Audio. 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 Yeah, that's right. it. With Jack Dorsey was was an Audio member. Yeah. Yep. And then it, he basically shut down Audio when Apple launched. Back yeah. In, and now they're kind of like back going back by providing a voice commentary on your on your feed and everything. It's like they're right. incorporating some audio also on Twitter. So now they're getting back more and more into audio. They did. An investment in SoundCloud too. I don't know mm-hmm. if you knew that or not too. So there's there's now a little bit of a connection there between audio and and video on the Twitter platform, which they have, you know, their roots came out of podcasting. So it's, it's an interesting kind of circle that they've taken. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If, if the FCC, do you think it's possible for the FCC to regulate podcasts, given that podcasts are consumed and produced all over the world? Do you think we're going to start having like government saying that, oh, you know what, you can't, you know, your RSS can't be downloaded over our air- airwaves and you have all these restrictions because they want to make sure that the content that no, nobody from, I don't know, maybe like a Middle Eastern country can just download any podcast without it passing through their own kind of like FCC. I mean, we have organizations now like the IAB, the Interactive Advertising Bureau, but that's specifically for advertising standards, I guess, and measurement in yeah. podcasts. But you think content-wise, uh, uh, the FCC and similar organizations, or maybe there'll even be an organization organization specifically for podcasts who knows yeah i don't know it's it's too early to know if there's going to be a specific organization just for podcasting on on that side from a governmental perspective but but i do think that the fcc can can jump in and and if they chose to and 
impose laws and regulations on podcasting that happens within the United States. Um, you know, I think we're seeing some examples of controls being put against uh, online content that's coming from various parts of the world around privacy and things like that. So I think that there is a um, an example out there that shows that it's possible. And and you know. You know, the EU is an entity that likes to enforce um, kind of online content or online uh, commerce and online privacy type of initiatives, mm-hmm. you know, anti-competitive things. Or there's The EU likes to dive into a lot of stuff. And, and certainly the FCC or the federal government here in the United States could get in like they did with radio and, and uh, apply some regulations to it if it appears that the medium is abusing the audience or the American people somehow, or if there's some, some reason for them to come in. And I'm not sure that they've had a lot of reason to come in do anything. Yep. I think that there, that there are laws that impact podcasting, you know, the um, laws about free speech and laws about um, privacy, laws, uh, you know, in in um, copyright. So there are areas where, where the federal government does have an impact on podcasting. It's just not, you know, in the kind of radio stuff, it doesn't have like the, the seven, you know, swear words type of FCC um, regulations on actual content per se. Yep. Yep. And how do we like, have you seen anything interesting happening internationally? Because most of the world uh, audience and, you know, for podcasting is still US based that we don't have as much podcasts in foreign languages besides English. We have, you know, obviously people podcasting from all over the world, but US is still like the major market. Have you seen things happening in other countries uh, that will eventually lead to podcasting becoming more and more adopted? I know um, companies like Spotify and Google PRX have like some form of podcast creator program that, you know, wanting to grow the space. But have you seen anything in other countries that that kind of like gives you hope that it'll be a more accepted medium like internationally? Well, it is already. Um, I think what we're really talking about is the, is the listenership of English, um, Mm -hmm. um, you know, around the world. It just so happens that most of the English podcasting content comes out of the U.S., especially the most popular um, English content comes out of the United States. And that's, and that's oftentimes very much consumed outside of the United States uh, for, for the simple reason that more Asians and uh, Europeans and other, you know, South Americans, whatever, can understand some levels of English, um, but they don't um, as far as speaking English, going back, that they don't feel as comfortable speaking English as they are listening to English. That's so, mm. so, so I think you have that going on. Plus, the the, the other side to it too is podcasts that are produced in um, other languages typically have a much smaller market opportunity around reach. So, so let's say a a French podcast is produced in the the northeastern part of Canada. Um, you know, its audience uh, would be in the northeastern section of Canada, maybe in various parts in other parts of Canada where there's population uh, of French speakers that would have an interest in listening to French language podcasts. But then its other audience would be in France, right? So you can kind of see where each of these languages has its own restriction or limitations based on the amount of speakers that ex- uh, of that language that exist in the world um, and how 
those those people would get access to it. Would a a French speaker in France listen to a podcast coming out of Ottawa in Eastern Canada? Mm. Uh, or you know, it's it may be more likely that a French podcast coming out of France possibly listened to in in Canada, maybe. So it. it you know, you're dealing with a lot of these these elements of language um, that maybe have more uh, limited reach. Now, certain other languages like Spanish, um, there's all sorts of dialects of Spanish too, right? So it, even in Spain, they, they don't all speak the same Spanish. So it's, you know, various parts of Spain, um, they can't even understand each other. So, you know, language becomes very complex once you get outside of English because English is such a dominant language um, and it's the language of business it's the language of of um, that a lot of people around the world have been taught um, how to understand it but maybe more limited in how to speak it yeah yeah and I guess you know just to, to buttress on my my question it was like the way I look at it like besides the language barrier there are some other uh, barriers that make podcasting to be as accepted internationally like Apple is still the biggest um, yeah. I don't know, platform for podcasting. I don't know if iPhones are the most popular phones in the world. I don't think so. Mm. Uh, so definitely outside the U.S. where I'm from, uh, people use more Android than uh, Apple. And even though you can, you know, there are a lot of tons of platforms on the Android device for podcasting, like not having access, as much access to the Apple platform already hurts podcasting numbers in a way. And like you said, you know, local content is another thing. Also uh, 5G, I look at 5G, if, you know, 5G is going to have an effect in a way on streaming content in general, you know, mm -hmm. not just podcasting. And podcasting is also a way to like, not a lot of countries, like I'm Nigerian, right? And in a lot of West African countries, we still have, like there are not a lot of, you know, TV stations or radio stations like right. we have in the US. And podcasting is a way for people to consume content on the go. If we can, you know, data can be made cheaper and access to podcasts uh, in local languages can be made. I see yeah. the podcasting kind of like growing more in those markets. Uh, uh, outside the U.S. Yeah, I agree. I think the access to less expensive data, I think, is the key to the growth outside of the U.S. And I think the the development of um, um, really compelling listening platforms on Android, I think, has been been a little bit of a weak spot too. Um, it's it, it's been good that Google has really jumped in with the Google Podcast platform to to support podcasting um, more on the Android. Um, side of things. So I think that the opportunity for, for growth uh, in listening outside of the U.S. is definitely being driven um, in a significant way by the Android platform. I totally agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever get worried when you look at podcasting, um, the money coming into podcasting, like, you know, being anticipated to hit a billion dollars, maybe in a year or two from now, do you think the money is going to corrupt the love podcasters have for each other? Cause when I look at industries like the tech industry, like the way they started, like in the sixties, seventies, early eighties, everyone was kind of like hobbyists, you know, helping each other out, going to all these events, doing cool stuff and, you know, just putting it out into the world, kind of like our RSS feeds were. But by the time you start having this big companies like Apple, IBM, Microsoft, like a lot of people started licensing things, it became this whole thing. And the money almost, some people say the money kind of corrupted the industry. So I can kind of liken this to how podcasting is now. Like everyone is kind of like helping each other, sharing information, sharing resources. Everyone wants to see the industry grow. But once the big media, you know, networks or the platforms or the advertisers come in, maybe it might, take the way of the radio and become, it might not be as intimate a medium as it once was. You... 
Yeah, I think that there is a danger of that. Um, and I think, you know, I think we as a participants in the industry need to be diligent about it um, to to maintain that that quality and to keep bringing it up uh, and making sure that it's in the the minds of audiences and in the minds of the industry, how we shape this industry and not let let us slip on the values that have built this industry. Uh, because if we move away from it, we could wind up falling into the trap that radio fell into and, and over commercialization, um, too much focus on, on money and not on, on uh, connecting with audiences um, and, and, and lose the very culture that created this medium to begin with. And I think, you know, we just all have to be diligent about that and recognize um, how we got here, why we got here and why this is such a special medium. Got it. Got it. How do you do you still discover new podcasts like 16 years later? How do you discover new podcasts and what podcasts are you currently listening to? Oh, I I sample tons of different podcasts, so I don't really have a lot of time to to follow, you know, too many specifically on a regular basis anymore, but um I'm always sampling and always trying and <clears throat> and exposing you know, my, myself to all, you know, new genres of, of stuff. I mean, personally, I've been really kind of more focused on over the years, uh, listening to shows that are done by friends of mine. Um, so it, it does get back to that very kind of, um, connection oriented consumption of this medium. People that I know that are doing shows, things like that is, are, are the shows that I tend to gravitate towards. Um, but it also have been very focused on technology because that's my, that's my history. And that's where, you know, a lot of my focus has been over, over the years is learning about technology and following its trends and things. So I do tend to l- listen to shows about tech. Um, but, but I also, you know, I'm on a lot of podcasts and I do a podcast my, myself that tends to be a little bit techy, but it's a podcast about podcasting. So I do listen to podcasts about podcasting a lot too, just so I can keep up with what's going on. Nice. Because people have a lot of a lot of other opinions on the direction of this, this medium. And, and, you know, sometimes I'm portrayed as kind of like an old timer that has, that isn't very up to speed with what, what the modern practices of podcasting are. Um, so it's something that I try and try and do my best to, to keep up with. I mean, in, in sampling all these podcasts, has there been something that you've been impressed with lately? Like besides the regular formats that you have, like documentary, solo show, interview shows, like, I don't know, someone was telling me like about a game show podcast. I was like, how does that even work? Has there been something that you've been like impressed with, like a format or just like a content in general in the tech or podcasts about podcasting category? Yeah, I, I do like the formats that tend to be pushing the, the envelope on this um, medium and trying new things and new ways of doing things. And I agree that the game show stuff is 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 kind of kind of fun. There's a variety of ways that it can be done. So I know that one's called Storyworthy, which has been around for, for for a long time. But it's basically like a game show type, but it's it's around storytelling. So um, you know, and then there's um, you know shows that are are very much focused on telling personal stories too. Um, and those are those very much cut to the very kind of the core of the medium of what the values of the medium are is very. Uh, in-depth, very uh, personal kind of sharing of of um, experiences and and getting into areas of emotion and conflict and things like that is is what what this medium does very well at. 
So that's what I tend to, you know, try and keep up with is those kind of things. And I also think that um, fiction is one of those areas that is mm-hmm. still rather unexplored. And, and it, those that have jumped into it have sometimes struggled with it too, because it fiction does a little bit go against the grain of what podcasting is all about, about being authentic. <laughs> so, um, you know, fiction tends to be not real stuff, right? And mm-hmm. it, it can be a little stilted and it can be a little bit um, less compatible with the culture of the, of the medium. So um, that's not to say that there isn't a place for it. I think that there, there is, and there will be, it's just, I don't, you know, it's hard to say how that's going to play out over time. We haven't, I mean, we've seen a few very successful fiction podcasts, but maybe it's, you know, maybe it's too antithetical to the the medium and what the listeners expect from it. I don't know. It's still unclear to me if it's going to be the next up and coming um, type of content and podcasting. Um, I think we're going to see more of it. More people are going to push the envelope on it. Got it. Got it. I mean, as we wrap up the interview here, do you kind of like have any advice to independent podcasters or podcast hosts? Uh, I mean, a lot of people seem the, the word on the street now is, you know, try your best not to uh, release your IP, try to maintain control of your IP, but generally, you know, relating to maybe content, monetization, marketing, building community. Do you have like any general advice to independent podcasters out there based on what you're seeing uh, happening trends in the industry? Yeah, I think you just keep keep your core of, of what you're all about and what you're doing. I, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's, you know, it's your idea, it's your content. It's, it's, um, I think it's okay to do licensing and, and, and get distribution that way. I think one of the big controversies that I think we're coming into right now is, is should podcasters license their content? Um, Mm. you know, it's, it's been a pretty open medium up to this point around people, you know, just taking your content and making it available on their platforms. But maybe we're coming into a time when podcasters kind of like the independent music folks, um, need to be a little bit more in control of their, their content and maybe get somehow compensated for making their content available, um, especially on platforms that are, that are monetizing by yep. having that content on their platform. So so I, I I just think that the values of this medium are around independent producers. Uh, and, and the definition of an independent producer is pretty broad too. It's hard to, sometimes it's hard to tell between somebody that's an independent producer and somebody that's not, right? What is the definition of a of an independent producer is getting a little gray sometimes. I mean, just look, look at a show like the Joe Rogan Experience podcast, mm. the biggest podcast in the world. He was clearly an independent podcaster before he did a licensing deal with Spotify, Mm -hmm. but he still owns all of his IP. It's not like he gave up the rights to his show. Uh, So, you know, is he an independent podcaster now or is he, uh, you know, part of the the man now, you know? So, (laughs) I mean, but but he had held out for many years. He wasn't on Spotify before he did that deal. Because he didn't agree with Spotify's philosophy about how much they were paying music artists. That was one of the reasons why he didn't want his show on Spotify. And it it just seems ironic that, you know, Spotify came in and did a licensing deal. Maybe he feels like they're they're now paying him enough or it's it's okay for him to be on that platform now. So maybe that's uh-huh. the true true values that we're seeing there. Right. Maybe, maybe. 
Well, Rob, I really want to thank you. You know, um, obviously we, we couldn't touch or we, we can never touch on you know, all the aspects oh, of yeah. podcasting, but, you know, thank you for, you know, taking our time to have this discussion about yeah. what our point of view is now on the industry and what we hope for it to be and, you know, and how, what we think it will be in, in the coming future. It'll be nice to kind of like come back to this podcast, maybe eight, yeah. nine, 10 years from now and actually know if some of these things panned out. So I really appreciate it, Rob. Uh, at the end of every episode, I always like to give my guests uh, kind of like a few minutes. Uh, if there's a question I didn't ask, something you were meaning to address or something you want to put out there into the world uh, to give you a few minutes to, to kind of like share your, your, your parting thought. Well, I just want, 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 want to say, you know, podcasting is, is, uh, is an exciting medium. And if you're thinking about getting into the medium, um, just think about what you want to accomplish. Set some goals for yourself um, and, and really think clear about what you want to do because really podcasting can, can be whatever you want it to be. And so feel free to, to make whatever you want to make and try it and see if it works. Uh, I think that's the strength of this medium is that it's openness to, to doing that and um, all comers are, are welcome, as they say. So, but if you wanted to, to, to reach out to me, I can certainly be, be found online. I'm on Twitter at Rob Greenlee, and that's with two E's. And I do have a website, uh, robgreenlee.com, and that's with two E's as well. And I do do a, a live podcast um, online twice a week on uh, Wednesdays and Saturdays called the New Media Show. And that's at uh, newmediashow.com. And if you want to go check that out, we talk about the industry of podcasting. And we had just like two weeks ago, we had Adam Curry on the show. So that's in oh, our nice. recent, recent past that we had him on talking about his his views of what's happening to the, the podcasting medium. So if you wanted to go check that out. That, oh, nice. Can I get that. an introduction, please? <laughs> oh, sure. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the podcasting two weeks. How long have you had the new new media show on the air? Uh, or, it's around 11 years. And yeah. two weeks, two times a week. Like I do once a week and I've just been doing mine for almost two years. And I, I, I need some juice to get me back. <laughs> so <laughs> I've, I've not missed a week yet, but you know, I need oh, to consciously... Good. Um, I mean, I think I've done like 83 episodes now. I need wow. to like, I'm, I want cool. to get to a hundred. When I get to a hundred, I'll set my sights on 150, set my sights right. on 200. But it's it's not easy, particularly owing to the fact that I have a different guest every week. Like if I had a co-host, that, that might have been easier about getting different people every week. But, you know, fingers crossed, um, it does help that I'm passionate about what I'm doing. So that mm -hmm. helps to drive the consistency. Um, thank you again, Rob, for taking our time to come on the Culture Class Podcast. Um, listeners, if you want to get um, follow Culture Class Podcast, we have a new website. It's cultureclasspodcast.com. On there, you see our social media handles. We have a blog that we post some extra stuff about all the episodes. You can listen to all the episodes. We have links to all uh, our uh, where you can listen to the podcast and our email is on there. So uh, it's one concise place to have uh, all things Culture Class instead of, you know, spooling all our social media and all that. So thank you so much. And I wish you a very nice day. All right. Well, thank you. All right. 